Good afternoon, everybody out there in Internet Radio Land. Welcome to my show, Church of the Soul's Evolution. Do you like my little song there, my introductory song? I call that the call of the soul. Not the call of the wild, but the call of the soul. And I've learned so much from other people over the years, reading their books. And I decided that it was right, and the time was right, to share with the world what my thoughts are about everything. Because it seems like there's a lot of questions that are out there that are still unanswered in regards to our spirituality, our soul. I mean, some people don't even know what the soul is still. I mean, it took me a long time to figure it out myself. Do you know what the soul is? It's not what other people, I've heard other people say it is. Very simply, the brain of the spirit. First of all, you have to understand that you have a spirit in your body. Are we tracking everybody? I think there's very few people out there that would be fooling themselves if they admitted it, that there is no spirit in the body. They don't have a spirit in the body. Well, that's it's not true. That great rock group from the 70s said it best, the police. And indeed, they were a fantastic rock group. They had so many hit songs with their song, We Are Spirits in the Material World. We are spirits in the material world. Our spirits in the material world. I mean... You can't get much better than that. And that was some 40 years ago. Those guys were beyond their time. They were brave and courageous to talk about those subjects back then. You know, that's what we need nowadays. We need people with bravery to lead us into the future. That's why I think we haven't had that. In fact, cowardice is probably an epidemic among a lot of people around the earth. That's one reason why we haven't made contact with the extraterrestrials that are out there. And maybe listening to my radio show, I'd like to think that they are. I don't know too many people on planet Earth that talk like I do about the things that I do. But it doesn't matter who's listening, whether it's one person or 10 or 100 or 1,000. And I believe also, and here's something that might shock you, but uh, I believe that heaven, the spirit lands are always monitoring what's going on here on earth in the material, the physical realm. So, you know, a radio is only as good as the radio waves that go out beyond that, extend beyond well, the physical atmosphere, extend into the physical atmosphere. But my point is, and I don't want to sound too crazy about this, if you will, but even if you can't count the number or you can't count the number of people who are tuning in, it doesn't matter because my thoughts are going out there into the atmosphere. I mean, telepathy, in case you didn't know, is the language of the universe. So this is a wonderful opportunity for me to say what's on my mind and not worry about what other people think. But if you want to object to something that I'm saying, feel free to call BBS radio and, if you want to debate something, you know, like we're coming up to Christmas time right now, and I'm a believer in 
the Bible. I'm, I go to a Christian service, a gospel service. But I think there are some inconsistencies in the Bible when I've talked about them on previous shows. One of them is the baby that was born in Bethlehem was put there by extraterrestrials. Case in point, the star of Bethlehem. I'll tell you something that maybe you didn't know. Heavenly bodies are always in motion. They cannot stop over a particular object. In other words, they cannot stop over a stable and shine a light down onto the stable. So there's no star or sun or any kind of physical object of the universe. I mean, heavenly made object or what would be the right way to describe it? You know what I mean, a sun or a planet does not hover above a particular object and shine a light on it. Now, you have to use your intellect and your logic in this situation. I've been talking about extraterrestrials. Well, what the Star of Bethlehem was was simply an extraterrestrial probe, which was rendered luminous to shine that light from up above down onto the the stable where Jesus was born, the, the baby Jesus, all those years ago, because those extraterrestrials had a lot to do with the birth of Jesus, including the artificial insemination of the Mother Mary. And I feel very comfortable saying that. And I don't, I mean, I would talk about it with anybody who wanted to talk about it, anybody who wants to debate it, but these are the things that, going forward into the future, especially with wanting to make contact with extraterrestrials, we need to accept as the truth so that we know we're not alone in the universe, that we've been in contact with extraterrestrials for many years. The reason the baby Jesus was born was because back then the world was going in the wrong direction. There was a lot of evil, so to speak going on, a lot of sexual immorality, murder, you name it. Anything bad, it was happening. The time was ripe for divine intervention of a very special kind. But, you know, here we are in the spiral arm of the Milky Way galaxy, a spiral arm of the Milky Way galaxy. And our solar system, according to my best estimates, and I am well-read, and well-researched on this subject, and I don't take into consideration some of the astronomers and scientists who have a tendency and are prone to exaggerate, maybe because they want to make a name among their peers. But I put the age of our solar system at approximately 2 to 3 million years old. That's all. All these figures that they've given us, 4 billion years old, no. They're entitled to their opinion, yes, and if you're really interested in their research and you've read all of it, then you're entitled to believe them, but I'm a truth seeker. I don't exaggerate. I just want to know the truth, damn it. Excuse me, didn't mean to swear, dang it. Oh, here comes the dog. There's Shakira. Hi, Shakira. You coming out here to keep me company or you just trying to go out there into the backyard? She's a cool dog. She was in our bed last night because she doesn't like thunderstorms, so thunder scares her. 
So we'll stay away from our room most of the time because we got two other dogs. So there's three dogs on the bed last night. I have my own little space. That's all I need. I don't let them encroach on my territory, so to speak. And my wife was hanging off the bed because she's not willing to push them aside. You know, she's very generous with her space getting, so to speak. Now here comes another dog. There's two dogs out there now. Well, so the Star of Bethlehem, artificial insemination of Mary, angels that appeared to the shepherds were these extraterrestrials. They can do amazing things. They have technology, and they're way far ahead of us in regard to the nature of our spiritual beings. They're able to... Now, don't get me wrong. There are angels, you know, where we came from. Before we were born here on Earth, we came from a land, a realm where there are angels all over the place, you know? We just can't remember because when we were born into this world, we went through what was known as the River of Oblivion where the memories of our past lives and our pre-existence was erased. We were made to forget, very simply. And I figured that out... We were made to forget, but never again, I think, for most of us, will we be made to forget. These other, these extraterrestrials, they remember where they came from, all their past lives, other planets. And believe me, there are so many planets out there, so many Earth-like planets and different stages of evolution. In fact, when the baby Jesus was born, hold on, please. Close the door because one of the dogs went inside and left the door open. Oh, no, I'm going to have to close the door again. Hold on, please. I've got to work my dogs here, you know, because I understand they need to go and do their thing. Even during my radio show. So I'm patient and tolerant. Thank you for being the same. Anyway, so the time was right for divine intervention all those years ago. Divine intervention, my friends. Think about it. When not necessarily the mother and father God are the co-creator gods of our solar system, but the ETs who are in contact spiritually, so to speak, in that fourth dimension realm and know when they're being requested to do things. So they work in coordination and communication with the mother and father God because, in case you didn't know, mother and father God usually don't work outside the realm of the physical universe, in, within the realm of the physical universe. They, they can't wave their magic wands and make thing, things happen. Although angels can. I mean, don't get me wrong. Let me rephrase myself. Usually, these Things we've heard about in the past, like within the Bible, a great account of divine intervention in this world, like any other book, no other book in the history of the world. And so these ETs are doing the work, so to speak, of our mother and the supreme creator of the universe. There's a race of extraterrestrials out there who are the guardians of planet Earth. They have guardianship. There's another race that is trying to 
get us into the intergalactic federation of planets. Intergalactic, my friends. We're in a galaxy among other galaxies. It's such an amazing thing that's going on here. And we're kind of right now walking around with shutters on our eyes, not really noticing what's the reality of what's going on. You know, a lot of us are caught up in fantasy. We see that on TV, fantasy movies, fantasy shows. No one's really interested in evolving. Yet people are dying every day. 40,000 people around the world are dying every day. There's a resistance to evolution that's going on because why? Because, we know, I think, deep in our souls. And by the way, if you're interested in reading my book, The Gray Brain and the Golden Soul, like I was saying, the brain of the spirit is the soul. It's available in the Amazon Kindle bookstore, 80 pages of rock'em, sock'em, spirituality that will blow your mind, so to speak, that is absolutely the truth in regard to many things. I might have some things, some minor things wrong, but for the most part, I think I've got it right. And there you can find my book without having to pay a single penny. Isn't that nice? I have received absolutely zero royalties. And so the baby Jesus was born. This is the season. You know, I'm going to sing a song tomorrow in church. It's the season. It's your season to be blessed. It's your season to be blessed. God made you a promise, you stood the test. Windows of heaven pour you out a blessing. It's your season to be blessed. I've been through the fire, yes I have. I've been through the blood, flood, oh no. I'm standing here because of his blood, yes. Thank you, Jesus. He's got to open up a window. Pour you out a blessing. It's your season to be blessed. Now, now you should know, now experienced singers know this. When you make a mistake, there's nothing else you can do but keep on going. Actually, you don't want to make a mistake, but mistakes happen. Sooner or later, you'll realize this truth. Everybody breaks down. Everybody makes a mistake because why? We're human, and humans make mistakes. The idea is not to let it bother you too much. You know how people can be. They talk. You make a mistake and blah, 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 blah. They talk and the, the note goes down the grapevine. And, but it doesn't really matter because I don't see them, you know, singing and taking a risk for the most part. You don't hear other singers getting on other singers' cases. It's the people that don't sing that get on people's cases that do sing and make an occasional mistake, maybe not anything big. They could sing the song Great. 99.9% of the song is great. Make one little mistake, and that's all you hear about other people. Well, and they don't necessarily talk about it, but you can tell in their body language, you know. But here I am kind of ranting. I don't like thinking and saying negative things. But back to the baby Jesus. So Mother Mary was artificially inseminated under hypnosis by these ETs that showed up, and that was the plan, the master plan. And they spoke to Joseph in a dream and told him it's okay, you know, that the baby Jesus would be born and he was going to be the savior of the world. And so then from that point on, he was on board with what was happening. Because, yeah, they spoke to him in a dream and made it clear to him that she hadn't had sex with another man. It was the 
Holy Spirit. And they put it to him in a way he would understand. And they can't say, we artificially inseminated your fiance Mary. What the heck is artificial insemination, you know? A very beautiful spirit was born, but because the spirit was born and crossed over that river of oblivion I was talking about, not in 100 years or 200 years would the baby Jesus have the knowledge, have had the knowledge to have performed miracles that would be required to make the people believe in Jesus. Even if he had learned and studied among the Nagas, which were the highly evolved civilization at that time, would he have had the knowledge to perform all those miracles, walking on water, calming the sea, feeding the people in the Sermon on the Mount, the 5,000, and there was another time he, he fed 4,000 people, turning water into wine, curing lepers, curing people who were blind, who were paralyzed, raising Lazarus from the dead, and the greatest miracle of all was the resurrection, although Jesus didn't have much to do with that. It was the extraterrestrials that beamed him out of the tomb, brought him back onto the spaceship, which he had arrived in three years before that, near the Sea of Galilee, and then he would be baptized by John the Baptist. You see, the baby Jesus walked away from that area, the Jerusalem-Bethlehem area there, when he was about 12, 13, 14 years old with his brother, he had a brother, Eureki, and they went to, headed towards China and Burma. Well, his brother got killed, and of course that was very upsetting to Jesus. He eventually wound up in Japan, and check the internet out if you don't believe me, the Jesus that was born in Bethlehem went to Japan, got married, had children, and died of a ripe old age of approximately 95 years old. Well, many years passed by, and Jesus, like the Bible doesn't say anything about where he was or what was going on, a period of about 18 years, 17 years, there was nothing, absolutely nothing in the Bible about what Jesus was doing. Hello? So the extraterrestrials decided the time was right to drop off a being who was from a, a very highly evolved planet by the name of Thayu Uba. Read the book, Abduction to the Ninth Planet. It's a great read. It's my, one of my favorite books. It is my favorite book, actually. And they should make a movie. Now, Hollywood it would be so good if they could make some real-life movies, they have the potential to do so with all their special effects technology, it would be wonderful. But will they? No, because they're so into drama and not the, not reality, more into fantasy, you know. Now, you get an active shooter event going on or maybe a natural disaster, and that's a slap in the face of reality, right? And we, we should be focusing on reality instead of fantasy. Do we agree on that, my friends? Reality is you can see how people freak out sometimes. The reality are the ETs that are out there waiting to make contact with us, but they know we're going through some stuff right now. And besides, they don't want to get shot at by our military. You know the military mind. The first thing they would, they would do if 
spaceship landed and wanted to make contact publicly, if you know what I mean, they would be surrounded within a matter of a few minutes by probably M1 tanks and police with guns drawn, soldiers, National Guard, weapons drawn, pointed, just like in the movie Today the Earth Stood Still, right? So the plan was that the ETs, these extraterrestrials from Taiyuba, they would drop this man who had volunteered for this very difficult mission. He was going to put his spirit, his astral body, into a human-made body. These extraterrestrials can make human bodies, yes. They know how to. They have the technology, the spiritual knowledge to be able to do that. Just like in the movie Avatar when they created those blue beings, you know, and they were able to put their astral bodies into those blue beings. Same thing. Same thing. Come on now. That's the truth. And so this highly advanced soul was put into this body, which was made in the resemblance of Jesus, who had disappeared about 18, 17 years earlier. So people would think it was him. Even his mother, who was still alive at the time, she would find it hard to not recognize that it was him, because they can, when they make a body, they can make a face the way they want it to as well, right? So he slipped his astral body into that human body. They dropped him off near the Sea of Galilee. He made his way to get baptized by John, and then he was on his road for three years, performing his mission of miracles and, and spreading the knowledge, changing the law of Moses into the law of Jesus, you know, and, and thus the New Testament was created because of all the great things that Jesus spoke about and the knowledge that he imparted to all those people back then. And don't you know, they were in need of help. I mean, they were like, can you imagine, like, college professors starting out with some kindergarten children and trying to teach them everything they knew? It was kind of like that same scenario. Of course, at the same time, Jesus was in contact, constant communication with a spaceship, which was hidden many thousand feet above the Earth that they couldn't see, you know. And any time he needed help, like the few times where he was going to be stoned by some of the people because he pissed them off and made them angry, you know, excuse me, then he was beamed to another location, you know. It's very simple. It's like in Star Trek. Star Trek had so many things right that these ETs have out there, the power to transport objects, physical objects, whether a human being or any kind of being, ascension being, and beam them to wherever they want them to be beamed. Ah, there's a, a flashing light over there in the distance. It's just a spaceship, though. Yeah. It could be a helicopter. Anyway, Jesus performed his mission, and he knew that he had to die on the cross because that was the plan because if he hadn't died on the cross, if there was no resurrection, then people could have put those miracles that he performed as some kind of, could have described it as some kind of wizardry, of some kind of magic, fooling the people in some way. But the resurrection was the greatest miracle of all. Now, if you want to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, well, then obviously you believe in Adam and Eve and that nonsense. You're entitled to your opinion. Because, in my opinion, it's a myth. The supreme, the creator, 
of the Garden of Eden, let's say, the Garden of Eden, let's say Mother and Father God, or if you want to, the Supreme Creator of the Universe, who is separate from all the co-creator gods of solar systems, let's say our Mother and Father God, why would they put Adam and Eve in a situation knowing, since they're omniscient, right, and omnipotent, knowing in advance that they were going to make a mistake and be disobedient, and then very unlovingly and unkindly punish them for doing that when they knew they were going to do it, banning them from the Garden of Eden, dooming them, according to the Bible, until Jesus came to repent for their sins and and set them free with blood dying on the cross. Well, why do that? Why not just do it right away instead of waiting thousands of years? And why do it that way when they supposedly have the power to do it immediately? They wanted to forgive them. So the whole thing is a fantasy. Why? Because it was devised by the powers that be back then that were to dominate and control the masses, very simply, for reasons of money. Religion is a money-making business, and when people's interests are in making money, then obviously they're not too interested in the truth and telling the truth. So religion is a good stepping stone to where you need to be. It's better to be thinking and talking about God and Jesus than not, in my opinion. But no, they're just a stepping stone, and sooner or later you need to walk alone, like me, and figure out everything for yourself, like I did, thanks to the help of a lot of people, but there's other things in my reality system that I pieced together bit by bit, like in a jigsaw puzzle, puzzle one piece at a time. You're just a co-creator God in the making like I am. You like to do things your way. I know. I know, I know, I know. You like to do things your way. And some people might not believe what I say because they want to do things their way, and that's fine. But know that I am very secure with my knowledge, my faith, and I can have my faith challenged. I've had it done before. I could debate this with anybody, but debate can be kind of mean sometimes, and there's no need to go down that road. Suffice it to say, you're entitled to your opinion, I'm entitled to mine, but my rationale and my logic I've been working on for years now. I'm a very well-read person. I was an administrative NCO, non-commissioned officer in the Army, for 18 years. So I know how to write. I know how to read. I continue to read all the time. I read new things. I read from books. I've got many, many books that I wrote my book with. And it's there in the references of my book, in case you're interested in reading. I need to... um, I don't want to step on the dog. She's sitting behind me. There's about 15, 20 books that are, I love. Absolutely wonderful books that I've learned from. Heaven by Jesse Duplantis. Inside Heaven's Gates by Rebecca Springer. Fast Lane to Heaven by Neil Dougherty. Conversations with God by Neil Donald Sean. I Saw Heaven by Robert Lierden, 23 Minutes in Hell 
I forget the name of the author, 90 Minutes in Heaven, Don Piper, Abduction to the Ninth Planet, also known as Fayuba, the Golden Planet, The Contact Has Begun, so many other books that just gave me great knowledge on the subject of spirituality, near-death experiences. I've read so many near-death experiences, and I understand so much about near-death experiences that I could probably get a Ph.D. if they had a Ph.D. to give for them. And same thing with extraterrestrial phenomena and UFOs, ufology. I, I, I know more than just about anybody, even Stephen Greer, and his knowledge is incredible. He knows about these ETs and their kind of technology. Their propulsion systems and a lot of their technology are, is thought-actuated. In other words, they think if they wanted some of these spaceships, like that spaceship that crashed in Roswell, you know how that was piloted by them? They put their hands on like a dashboard. There was actually handprints on, the, on that particular spaceship, this race of extraterrestrials that came from the large Magellanic Cloud Galaxy. And they were working with the Verdants. You know, at the time, we were going through the atomic age, and they were developing an atomic bomb in the American Southwest in New Mexico. And so they'd already tested a few atomic bombs, and so they were taking samples of the air and the water and soil at that time. And so this race of extraterrestrials, very small, kind of tiny with big heads, you know, maybe three feet tall, big eyes, beautiful sentient beings, you know, extremely advanced and intelligent, you know, capable of, um, their spacecraft were capable of uh, light speed and going interdimensional, you know. Once you get into the Intergalactic Federation of Sovereign Planets, and there's like, the last time I heard 26,000 different species of sentient beings, then technology is shared. So they all have more or less the same kind of technology. You know, spacecraft are, that are capable of going up to light speed. And then Einstein was right when he said nothing can travel faster than the speed of light in the physical universe. But then when you get up to the speed of light, that pressure that builds up on the exterior of the spacecraft and mass that contracts, then that energy, like they do, they are able to harness that energy also when they make their nine-degree turns going thousands of miles an hour. They use that same energy then to put them into another dimension. Their spacecraft is capable of changing size and shape, and they they use on the ex, their exterior of their craft, exterior of the craft is made, believe it or not, of a kind of plant matter. And that's why when you look at trees or plants or flowers, you know, you ever have, my mother used to be able to talk. She'd talk with the flowers. She would see them move sometimes, you know, because they respond to thought. Plants, they respond to love, you know. Women know that more than men do. But suffice it to say that with a greater knowledge of the powers and attributes of plant matter, it can be incorporated into the hull of a spacecraft, into the body of a spacecraft, so that it can be transformed into another, into um, the molecules are broken down, in essence, and then uh, reassembled on the other side of the, into, in the new dimension. And then when they're in the, fourth dimension or the parallel universe or the thought dimension then travel 
is from A to B by the power of thought. It's a very complicated subject, but I think I've described enough of it sufficiently for you to understand a little bit of what I'm trying to say. And that's how they get from one point to the universe in a very quick fashion so they might speed up to the speed of light, go interdimensional, the disassembly and reassembly of the molecules of the spacecraft and the inhabitants inside their spacecraft, the spacecraft. Then they know they want to go over there, so then they think they, they want to be over there, and then they're, they're there in a matter of seconds, you know. And then they break out into the physical universe again. And like in that case, I was talking about those extraterrestrials that came from the Large Magellanic Cloud Galaxy, which is, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred thousand light years away. And uh, so they materialize on maybe on the outside of our solar system, going at the speed of light, and they slow down, slow down, slow down until they get close to Earth, and then well, in this particular case, CCTs, so the pilots hadn't had much experience with a planet of a heavy atmosphere like Earth has. And just at that time, it was in July of 1947, there was a lot of thunderstorms going on in the American Southwest in New Mexico near Roswell. And I believe their spacecraft might have got hit by some lightning bolts and they lost control. Like I was saying, they, they put their hands on these kind of like a dashboard inside the spaceship, these little... They're like children, you know, and they recovered their uh, the dead bodies of those aliens, and they were transported to uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. I think there was one that was still alive, too, but he didn't last. He or she didn't last too long. But So they put their hands on these on these dashboards, and that they want to go fast. They think fast. They want to turn left. They think left. They want to turn right. They think right. Isn't that cool? That is thought-actuated propulsion systems, and other things as well. All that technology from Star Trek is real, especially beaming. Like I was saying, they beamed the body of Jesus who had died on the cross. It's hard to stop beating. It stopped breathing. They took him to the tomb, and we just sang a song the other day, you know, about three days he was supposedly within the tomb. Well, they could have beamed him out of there the first night, Friday night, and no one would have known any different, right? You see what I mean? But it was Sunday morning, like the song goes, and Sunday morning he rose, but he could have been beamed out of there. He probably was. There's no need to have stayed there for three nights inside that tomb. Beamed aboard the spaceship, they were able to patch up his wounds. You know, he had some very serious wounds in his wrist and his ankles and his side, where he was pierced with a sword. So they wanted to leave the holes there so that when he did come back to life and walk among them for 40 days before ascending up to the spacecraft out of sight above the clouds, that they would know for sure, without a doubt, that that was the Jesus that died on the cross, because he would just say, well, look at my wrists, look at my ankles, Put your hand here on my side, feel the wound. Now, don't you realize that was me who died on the cross, okay? And so then they repaired his body, his astral body, just like an avatar, slipped back into that human body, and they 
dropped him off probably near where the tomb was. Mary and uh, Martha, they both saw him. And then John and Peter came running, and they, they saw him. Then he had breakfast with them on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He had some bread, some fish on the fire. and They'd been out fishing all night, and they saw, they didn't know it was Jesus at first. He was on the shore, and he yelled out to them, did you catch anything? And they said, no, not a thing. And he said, put your nets out on the left side of the boat, and you will catch something. So, what the hell? They said, excuse me, what the heck? Give it a try. They put their net out, and they caught so many fish they couldn't haul them back inside the boat. And then all of a sudden, John said, it's the Lord. And Peter took his his top off and his robe and jumped in the water and swam to the shore. And so they brought the boat into the shore with all the fish, and they met him by the fire, and he said, go get some fish. They brought some fish, so they had enough to eat for breakfast, and they had bread. He had some bread there. It was probably extraterrestrial bread, because I don't imagine he went to the local store, you know, and bought it, any bread. You know what I mean? So he sat down with them, and he talked with them, and, and of course, their the minds were blown, and they were just like, wow. Oh, we saw some pretty cool miracles. We've seen some pretty cool miracles, Jesus, but this, this is like totally awesome, mind-blowing, you know, we love you, we love you so much, you know, you're incredible, this is fantastic, wow, I mean, this is like magic, absolutely great, and so he said to Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me more than these other disciples do? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you, so he said, take care of my sheep, okay, Lord, I will, and a few seconds later, he said, Peter, do you love me again? Peter wondered where he was going with this, but he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. I love you very much. Jesus said, look after my sheep. Peter said, yes, yes, Lord, okay. I will, I will. But Jesus said the third time, Jesus asked him the third time, Peter, do you love me? At this point, Peter kind of broke down because he didn't really understand where Jesus was going with this. And he started to cry. And then he looked at Jesus. He paused. He hesitated. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus looked at him, looked in his eyes and said, take care of my sheep. Because he was going away. And they were going to have to go out there and spread the gospel, and they were going to have to cast out demons and cure people. And he knew that they, Jesus knew that they needed that, that spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, you know. Now, I personally call the Holy Spirit something different. I don't, when they talk about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, I don't, still don't even to this day understand what they mean by Holy Spirit. and No one has been able to sufficiently explain it to me. So I have my own interpretation of it, and it is simply the Holy Spirit is that feeling you get when you're in the presence of angels. We have a spirit inside of us, and that spirit, just like Spider-Man, has his, his spidey sense tingle when something happened or something's about to happen. Happen. We are the same way, too. 
when we're in the presence of angels, our spirit. And sometimes people break out crying, too, you know, crying uncontrollably. You know, you notice that, like, when they lose somebody. It's very unfortunate, of course. Very sad sometimes. And that's our spirit cries, and then our bodies cry. That's the best way I can explain it. But when we're in the presence of angels, and angels are all around us, but sometimes they, they interact with us on the physical plane. That's the truth. But going back to Jesus, I think the reason that he asked Peter three times whether or not he loved him, whether he loved him, was because he knew that going forward into the future, it was on Peter's conscience a lot that he had denied the Lord three times, just like Jesus had said he was going to deny him. You know what? The third time he would deny him, you hear the, the, cough, the, the crow of a rooster, and we would understand at that time that Jesus had foretold that he would do that. Well, Jesus wanted to get that off his conscience, so he asked him three times, three times also, do you love me? That would help him forget about that. So it wouldn't be a hindrance going forward into the future when they would have to spread the gospel and do all these miracles or try to do all these miracles like Jesus had done. Because, make no mistake about it, Jesus told them, your mission is to, you've seen all the miracles I've done, you've seen the resurrection, and in just a few minutes you're going to see me ascend up into heaven. Wouldn't that be a a tremendous faith builder to see Jesus after everything you've been through with him rise up off the ground, go up into the sky, up, 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 above the clouds, not knowing them, not knowing that he was going into the spaceship. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus right now does not exist in the spirit realm. I think he does. I think the baby that was born in Bethlehem, per what I was talking about earlier, is there in heaven, in the spirit lands, on the sun, that world of fire, the fire of God? And don't you know your spirit can live in fire? The spirit in your body is made of light energy, and that can live in a fire just like the fires in hell. Some people are going to go to hell. Murderers, rapists, they're going to go to hell. But it's just a temporary rehabilitation, if you will, because the mother and father God and the supreme creator of the universe value every soul and understand that we were shaped and molded by our parents and we made mistakes probably because of them, that we became evil and went down that wrong road because of them and maybe because of our peers, the peers we've had. Anyway, my friends, I'm going to read. How am I doing on time? Time flies. I love my show so much. 643. I'm going to read from my book. The scenario is from the... Is The book is The Contact Has Begun. It's all about the verdants, this race of extraterrestrials that are out there. And don't you know everything I've been talking about has been ET-related? And these verdants, they're one of the two species. The other ones are the aliens from Thiuba, the extraterrestrials from Thiuba, but these Verdants are also very loving, very intelligent. Don't you know these extraterrestrials have babies too? Wouldn't you like to see an ET baby? Wouldn't they be loving and adorable? 
mothers out there, wouldn't you love to hold a little E.T. baby with the big eyes, big dark eyes like you've never seen before on this earth? Going through their process of growth, just like we do. We were babies once, and we become full-grown adults, hopefully, God willing, you know, depending on our plan, our mission. They say a lot of things happen for a reason, that a lot of our destinies are predetermined. Isn't that an amazing thought? So I'm going to read from this book, The Contact Has Begun. And I'm going to start describing in this chapter about the similarities between us and them, okay? So it goes like this. I love to read out loud. Surprisingly, there are great similarities between the verdant culture, social structure, and earth. All verdant children attend what on earth would be equivalent to public school, although for a much longer period of time, because they do not reach adulthood until they are approximately 60 earth years of age. Remember that the verdant year is about three earth years long or approximately 1,000 earth days. Even on the colonized planets, time is measured in standard verdant terms, despite the fact that the length of the days and years on the manifold worlds vary widely. Some have years that are equal to four or five Earth years, while others are as short as several Earth months. The length of the days are as equally varied. After reaching adulthood, education continues for every person at what would be considered the university level on Earth. But because the burdens do not sleep as we know it, but simply engage in rest and relaxation periods. Life is bustling every hour of the day and night. They don't sleep because they consider sleep an abbreviated form of death and also because their learning stops. They love to learn and they can't learn if they're sleeping, right? But we have to sleep. A typical human with a university education might have spent six hours a day 180 days a year for 16 years in class, or about 17,000 hours total. A verdant attending school, 15 hours a day, 300 days a year, or somewhere between 50 and 60 years, would spend perhaps 250,000 hours in class. Consequently, a verdant university education would equal perhaps 15 university educations on Earth. That sounds so oppressive, I said, Philip said. On the contrary, said Gina, the extraterrestrial, our love of learning is so great that every moment is exhilarating. We can't get enough of it, Gina said. But eventually, our course of formal study comes, turning the page, comes to an end, and then we have to go out into the world, to put it in terms familiar to you, to take our place in society. Of course, study and learning are lifelong pursuits for us, and the universe then becomes our educational laboratory after our formal classroom instruction is complete. But don't you take time to play as children, I asked? We do, 
just like normal children everywhere, Gina explained. Believe it or not, childish play is a universal characteristic. There are few sentient animals that we are aware of that don't engage in play. Did you ever observe a litter of your earth puppies or tiny lion cubs in a jungle nest? Or how about a family of baby monkeys? Play is a necessary ingredient of learning of growing up. Gina was raised in a large city in a family unit that consisted of her and her two parents. I'm going to take a drink of water. There are, of course, no brothers and sisters because of the inability of females to produce more than one offspring in their lifetimes. They also have no institution equivalent to the human state of marriage. Typically, most burdens, burdens, extraterrestrials, that is, have multiple partners during their extensive lifetimes, with pairings lasting anywhere from 10 to 500 years. They can live to be 20,000 years old. Hold on, please. I had to close the door. Getting a little bit loud in there. Once a child is conceived in any union, however, no matter how long the parents have been together, a family unit has been formed and will not be dissolved before the child leaves the home. That would be a minimum of 50 to 60 years when the child has reached the age of early adulthood and has completed its course of formal education. Often, depending upon the circumstances, the child might stay in the family home for up to 100 years. Eventually, though, the adult children themselves pair up with those chosen partners and leave the parents' home. But no marriage, I asked? No, just a spiritual bonding, she replied. And then you begin your own families, I asked? Rarely do first pairings result in a child, she answered. We simply pair up and share our lives for a period of time. At some point, by mutual agreement, we each choose another partner and proceed to a new level in our lives. It is all a very rewarding and satisfactory arrangement. It keeps life interesting. Do you fall out of love, then, when you decide to move on to a new mate, I inquired? It's impossible to fall out of love because we don't fall in love, Gina said. B.E.T. This was disturbing to me for some reason. I tried to analyze it, tried to put my finger on the feeling of uneasiness I experienced upon hearing this statement. And then it hit me. The arrangement she was describing struck me as the simple mating of two barnyard animals, a carnal union driven by instinct and devoid of the human qualities of caring, compassion, and tenderness. In other words, the ingredients of love, in other words, the ingredients of love. I expected so much more from these creatures of such advancement, a more noble quality of spirit. Do you pair up just for sex without love, I asked, 
barely hiding my disappointment. Oh, I see what you're saying, she said. My goodness, no, of course not. Do you remember the first time you fell in love as you humans term it? I said I did. I don't think anybody ever really forgets that singular event in his or her life. She asked me to describe my feelings at the time. It was a tough question. I made several faltering attempts to answer. Finally, I told her that I didn't think the feelings could be translated into words. She pressed me to try. I put aside all the thoughts about the first kiss, the fluttering heart when taking the beloved's hand for the first time. I looked at the bigger, I looked at the bigger picture. Happy, I said, no more than that. Deliriously happy enraptured, walking on air. What did she look like, Gina asked. She was wonderful, I told Gina. But for the life of me, I really couldn't visualize the girl's face. Nor for the matter could I even remember if she was pretty or plain, intelligent or dull, overweight, underweight, or average weight. You don't remember because it's not the person who stirs the cherished memories. It's the event itself. Gina said, the love is the experience. The girl could have been any one of a million others. You would still carry the fond memories no matter who the girl was. The human brain, she said, stores billions of bits of information that define a lifetime of experience. But only the momentous events, the ones that stand apart from the mundane everyday occurrences are easily recalled. Gina said, that may be because these milestone markers are the ones that most critically influence the development of the person, the way the person views life. Whether they strike chords of joy or sorrow, fear or confidence, anticipation or dread, celebration or mourning, they stand the test of time by remaining keenly vivid. I think that Gina was giving me a lesson in life and I must admit that she may have had something there. I thought about some of the key incidents in my life that so easily spring to mind with no effort, even decades later. That would include my induction into the Army as a 19-year-old draftee, apprehension, my graduation from college, gratitude, my first job, excitement, the birth of my daughter, bliss, and the day she left home for college, Pride combined with a broken heart. I've got one minute left, my friends. Thank you for listening. I see the moon over there. Please go outside and look up at the stars and, and know that we have brothers and sisters out there in spirit, other beings, but they're so like us. You know, they're alive in the material universe. Don't be afraid of them. Embrace them. We need them. Thank you for listening to my show. I love you. And may the supreme creator of the universe, supreme creator of the universe, bless us all, everybody. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.